Comunidad, my name is Alexis Terrazas, editor-in-chief of the legacy San Francisco-based community bilingual Latino newspaper, El Tecolote. And welcome to the next episode of Latina, Latino, Latinx News. For many of us who are migrants or the recent descendant of migrants, the Trump presidency was one we'd rather soon forget. For four years, our migrant communities were not only the targets of overt xenophobic and racist rhetoric, but also that of cruel immigration policy, which specifically targeted migrant families and children. In this next episode, we look at how local community leaders, activists, artists, and writers rallied together to demand the reunification of the remaining children who were still separated as a result of Trump's zero-tolerance policy and explore the role that art had in that struggle. In November 2020, thousands took to the street, reveling in the defeat of President Trump at the hands of Joe Biden. But despite that change in the presidency, hundreds of migrant children still remain separated from their families. For Olga Talamante, a longtime activist in the Bay Area, learning that more than 600 migrant children were still separated from their families was devastating. And she couldn't just stand by. And that just, uh, it just, oh my gosh, it just, it broke my heart. It, it, it broke other people's hearts. Can you imagine these children still separated from their families? So I made a call to, you know, the, my comadre um, activistas in the, in the community. And um, Gloria Romero from Instituto Familiar de la Raza, um, uh, Clarissa Dugan Cuadra from um, Carecen, um, Adriana Ayala uh, from Chicana Latina Foundation, the Land Racial Equity Project, um, Claudia Leon, and, um, and Annie Rivera from Galderia de la Raza, uh, responded and said, yes, let's do something. Let's, let us do something. And we um, came up with this concept of forming a caravan on behalf of the children. So we went to San Diego uh, and to the Tijuana border. And then after that, we decided to go to Washington, D.C. to be part of the immigrant rights rally that takes place every May to continue to raise the issue of the children um, that have not been united with their families. Being imprisoned by an authoritarian regime is something Talamante is all too familiar with. She was 25 years old when in 1974, she was falsely accused of plotting subversive acts against the then Peronist government of Argentina. She was beaten, tortured, and held for 16 months in an Argentine prison. But it was art in the form of poetry and political posters that built the pressure that would eventually help set her free. And when it came to the Caravan for the Children campaign, a 100-day movement that included demonstrations in Washington, D.C. and San Diego, art, music, and the participation of Galeria de la Raza, a San Francisco cultural arts institution, 
were central. The participation of Galeria de la Raza has been very key because from the beginning, we actually stated that our campaign for the children was going to have up in our in a, a cultural focus because we do know that you know the, the 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 term la cultura cura is so true and also because of having been myself uh involved politically for many decades now um you know starting with 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 uh, uh with mecha and, and the chicano movement and the anti-war movement and coming back from um, Argentina and being in the solidarity movement uh, with Central America and I, the, just seeing that all of this could come together um, for uh, art in various forms as you mentioned, in poetry in song, we have a group of community singers who wrote a song and have performed it and there's a beautiful video called our children are sacred. Nuestros niños son sagrados. And so in music, in poetry, and in visual art with, with Paola's amazing uh, quilts, um, we know that art in, in, in our political movement has traditionally provided us with the images. It has provided us with the words. It has provided us with, with the music of of the struggle. It, it gives us the images of our struggle and it also gives us the images of hope um, and resilience and it uplifts our spirits. When the campaign launched in January of 2021, a reported 630 children, many from Central America, still had yet to be unified with their families. That number was especially significant for San Francisco-based Colombian-American textile and interdisciplinary artist Paola de la Calle. Paola was commissioned to create the five massive quilts that were carried by marchers during the demonstrations in 2021. Those quilts, each measuring 9 by 14 feet, incorporate the writing and poetry of nine selected Latinx literary artists, and they are the centerpiece of Galeria de la Raza's latest exhibition, Pedagogy of Hope, Uncage, Reunify, Heal currently on display at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts until May 29. In total, the quilts measure roughly 630 square feet, a square foot for every child that was reported missing when the campaign was launched. That number is really significant. I think you, when you enter the exhibition, you really feel um, the magnitude of the quilts. I had a lot of folks during opening night say, like, you were always talking about these quilts, and I just had no idea um, the size. Um, my work is mostly about borders, identity, nostalgia, um, and ideas of home. So this um, project for me was really personal, especially because I've been talking about subjects like this for a really long time. For me, it sort of all aligned. I was initially approached by the campaign and the folks at Galeria um, because they were familiar with my printmaking work and with my... Um, the way in which my work deals with notions of immigration or ideas of borders. So the campaign approached me, I think it was in November of, I want to say 2020, um, and approached me with the idea of an 100-day campaign, which made it really urgent and um, 
what the artwork would be or what we would bring to DC was something that I was um, then kind of made responsible for, which was really exciting because it was the first time that I'd been trusted with a project of this scale. And um, even though my family is an immigrant family, my parents were undocumented, still are. Um, my sister was a child immigrant. I think for me, what was really important was to make sure, especially since I'm not an immigrant myself, was to bring in other voices um, into the campaign. So we were able to bring a more literary aspect into the campaign and into the quilts themselves too, and created an open call for um, poets that would help inform the images that end up being on the quilt. Um, and there's about eight poets from all across the country, all with different relationships to the border that helped um, bring all of the quilts to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in November 2020, I guess right around the time you were asked to, to participate on this project, um, we had an election. Uh, we have a new president in the White House now. Um, but it seems like, you know, that didn't solve any of these issues, right? These these issues of uh, families still being separated persisted. And forgive me if this seems like a, a simple question, um, but why is this call to action, even with the new president and a vice president, which we'll get into a little bit later, uh, why is this call to action and art exhibition, you know, why is it still relevant? I think you have to continue to apply pressure. Um, I think in order to see change, you can't just like do one action and think, okay, and this is it. And um, if it, if this problem didn't get solved, then I tried my best, right? If we see, especially um, in the history of this country and organizing, like it takes a lot of people, it takes a lot of voices. Sometimes it takes many generations. So I think it's easy to maybe think that because it's a new president, that things might change. Um, But I think if you're someone who's aware of the history of this country and the political history and um, the way in which our government functions, we know that um, history repeats itself. One of the voices included in the show and on the quilts is that of Freddie Jesse Isaguirre, a Salvadoran-born journalist and poet who, as a child, migrated to the United States with his family. From a bustling cafe in Brooklyn, he reflected on what it meant being one of the nine selected writers for the exhibition. It's all the things. It was flattering. It was validating. It, it was empowering. Because you have to remember, uh, during that time, we're, we're talking about uh, you know a very heated time politically where we weren't seeing uh, Central American voices elevated um, in the media landscape. And if, it, and if uh, the topic of Central American migration came up, it was always focused on the crisis of the border and always looked at through a negative lens, usually a white one, uh, uh, meaning journalists uh, who were white were writing about it. It was very condescending. And um, there were a lot of dog whistles in the news. Trump was still in office. It was it was a mess. And But all these things um, carry a, a, a legacy of harm that extends beyond just the Trump administration. And for me, as a, as a, as a Central American, uh, at the time I was working as an independent journalist, I was also uh, a, a poet and, and, and writer. Um, I am, through my mother's side, now a descendant and from El Salvador, was born there in the, in the, in the, in the 80s. And, um, and my family had left there 
uh, in the late 80s. And so there's all this complicated history that comes attached with it. And when you learn of the impact that and the intentional uh, sabotaging that the U.S. has caused in that region and, and how that's worked with the, the Salvadoran government and the way that uh, the elites of El Salvador operate, it, it can make you feel like you don't have agency. And when you're in diaspora, they definitely make you feel like, well, you're not in, you're not in country, so you don't know. And we get silenced a lot and we get treated like we don't know what's going on or like we don't have family members that we talk to or that we are incapable of articulating uh, the, the struggles and the issues uh, that, we, that we know historically um, have massive ramifications. And so being a child of the diaspora and feeling so muted, so muffled, and then not seeing the representation in the media landscape can be overwhelming. So to be selected as one of the voices to form part of this of this project, to be uh, in a position to have my voice heard, to have our community's voice heard, our our Technicolor community, by the way, because it's not just um, it's not just me as a cis head uh, man being represented. We have a wide spectrum of diverse voices from Central America who are being featured on these quilts, and being a part of that collective made me feel it made me feel important it made me feel like I was standing up for something because we were so silenced and so ignored there's so much erasure in the media when it comes to the things that uh, that pertain to our community or there's a lot of misinformation or it's it's done in a form of spin so to be a contributor in community with this group of uh, mostly femme-identifying artist, is an honor. Listening to Freddie, I felt compelled to ask him the very same question I had asked Paola earlier, the one about us having a new president and why this movement was still relevant. In September of 2020, uh, uh, September 15, 2020, I posted a tweet that went viral, had over 100, 100K uh, likes and like 30K re- retweets or whatever and i said ice did not suddenly become abusive toward migrants under this administration at the time we're talking about trump and if you're central american one of the one of the most potent aspects of being a member of that community is the way that you see immigration policy ebb and flow over the course of decades if you've been here long enough in your migrant journey um i like i said i came to the states in uh in 87 And that means I've been under five administrations. I was undocumented for most of that. Um, I got my citizenship in 2017. And you start to pick up on the rhetoric. You can see the way things shift and the, 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 the goalposts get moved. The, the costs change and you see people get stuck in, um, in loops where they can't get out and where they're just giving money and nothing is changing. You can see the policy year after year, administration after administration, um, have negative net negative impacts. And so to see the Biden administration basically continue on in the same way to see families still being separated, um, to see deportations continue at, um, at Trump levels, to, to see these things and to be Central American is to know that it hasn't mattered who is in charge, that our community is still being, 
is still facing this dire situation. And, and so it, it's very, um, it, it can, it can seem daunting. So it's very empowering to be a part of this collective of artists who are going to go and once again, ring the bell and say, Hey, this is still ongoing. This isn't something that we could just act like it just went away just because Trump isn't here anymore. And I've always felt that way. Um, we, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of those of us who were in the activism community, uh, uh, even back when I was living in San Francisco, there was there was a lot of talk about needing to hold administrations accountable when, you know, when Obama was was labeled deporter in chief. When you know you could go back to to each administration prior. Um, when I got here, it was the Ray, it was Reagan, you know, and so it, all that stuff, that legacy of harm, forms a part of our artistic lineage because it is comes our uh, our job as artists to like rise up against that so i'm very happy to be collaborating with that to be a part of that um i think it's super important it is so clear that it doesn't matter who's in charge that um there's a lot of negligence and a lot of abuse of power um and there's a lot of harm being done to our community and so long as that continues then the fight for justice continues because we have kids who are not like reunified with their families we have um the concentration camps at the border are still active. We have so many missing children. We have so many murdered children by border patrol. We have ice raids still happening in the, in the country, even though it's not as, um, as as talked about in the news media anymore. Because there's a you know there's a new person in the White House and they talk differently and they have a different demeanor. Mm-hmm. And just because those distractions exist doesn't mean that that, uh, that that abuse of power and that harm isn't still happening, that that interventionist policies are not still being enacted. Um, and if, if looking at what is happening in El Salvador now is any indication, when we talk to our family members, what we hear is that they're scared. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and so that's, you know, that, that's always a, a rallying cry for, for us as artists, but uh, for me specifically as a member of this community who wants to, um, who wants to do the most he can with the tools he has. On May 1st, 2022, organizers for the caravan traveled to Washington, D.C., taking with them postcards with public comments and signatures that they had gathered, demanding that the rest of the separated children be unified. Ani Rivera executive director of Galeria de la Raza, went live on social media, explaining the intent behind the action. We're hearing everyone's messages around um, around why they're here. I think it's important to understand that in this, mo- in this moment, um, in, the, in, you know, in this march, it's, it's multifaceted, you know, and everyone has a message a message that touches them deeply because they have they have experienced it firsthand. My name is Ani Rivera. I'm the executive director of Galeria de la Raza. I'm really glad to be here today. It's the second year that we come with the caravana to share our message of Uncage, Reunify, and Heal. Um, as a community, we also are really, um, as an organization that was founded to create artwork that reflected our experiences, that it was about a path for self-determination. Um, it is important that we're also here because there's all kinds of art. There's posters, there's um, banners that are all handmade. And those are the moments that we have to capture. That is part of our history. So we're really happy to also have um, art representation, bring that perspective. Um, for folks tuning in that are 
in the Bay Area or around, it's still a good time for you to see and learn more about the caravana by visiting YBCA and looking at the beautiful quilts that were created last year when we were here um, and brought them. And now today they are in YBCA San Francisco. And so we encourage you to stop by. Last February, President Biden formed the Interagency Task Force on the Reunification of Families, naming Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas as chair. By the time the May 1st action took place, the official number of children that had yet to be unified, this is according to the task force report released last March, was 1,139. The number of children that have been unified since the task force was established is 147. This movement to reunify these children comes against the backdrop of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. In addition to the massive amount of media coverage dedicated to Ukraine, President Biden last March was photographed in Warsaw, Poland, embracing and kissing Ukrainian refugee children. For many, the blatant display of empathy that is prioritized to European migrants, especially over migrants from so-called developing countries in Latin America, Asia, and Africa, was clear. I asked about this. Here's Freddie's take. The elasticity of the cognitive dissonance that people experience in this country through the way that they like consume their news is appalling. And the way they wrap blindfolds around their heads, I, I just, it's amazing to me. We have leadership uh, and media outlets who will go and sound off about what harm being done to Ukrainians um, and not everybody knows in depth like all of the ins and outs of that history which is very complex also um but to see it get so much attention and yet to to see the way that uh, the struggle in palestine is uh framed in the media to see how the struggle in central american countries is framed in the media to see how the struggle in haiti is framed in the media is truly upsetting because the, the circumstances in, in which those migrants and refugees find themselves in matters also, is, is significant, and, and in a lot of ways exacerbated by the United States. And to not see that level of accountability and self-reflection that is necessary in order to make um, critical policy changes or to, uh, or to have the, the proper kind of attention be placed on it is, is alarming. Olga also shared her feelings and called for accountability. It is so obvious, um, and and and, it, and it's a bit of a, um, I'll call it a, a mixed reaction in the sense that um, I totally support um, uh, all the support for for Ukrainian refugees because that is on the principle of of our refugee um, laws that this country does take in refugees that are escaping war or famine or violence um, and frankly poverty. And so so I I am not opposed at all to the support for the Ukrainian uh, refugees and especially the children. But I am definitely question then why don't our children get that same attention? 
and they're escaping very similar situations. I think we saw, and this is when the zero tolerance policy was in full effect. Uh, and if you recall, it was all over the news. It was it was something that did mobilize people and mobilized organizations. And fortunately, there are also still organizations that that are fighting for this, like families belong together, welcome with dignity. The ACLU has been just phenomenal in continuing specifically to take cases uh, of families and continuing to fight for the families, uh, or the organization called KIND. Um, and so the children that have been um, reunified, a lot of it is because of the work of the nonprofit organizations and the immigrant rights organizations that, that bring these cases forth and are doing the legwork. And we're saying it is time for the for the U.S. government to take responsibility, even if it happened under a previous administration. The fact that they are still being held under this administration is totally unacceptable. A sincere thank you to Olga Talamante, Paula de la Calle, and Freddie Jesse Isaguirre for being interviewed for this episode. And shout out to Ani Rivera of Galeria de la Raza, Gloria Romero of Instituto Familiar de la Raza, Laritza Dugan Cuadra from Carecen, Adriana Ayala from Chicana Latina Foundation, and Claudia Leon from the Latinx Racial Equity Project for launching this campaign. The show, Pedagogy of Hope, will be on display at YBCA in San Francisco until May 29th. And to end this episode, we thought it best to go out to the song featured in the exhibition, Our Children Are Sacred, by Diana Gameros, Liliana Herrera, Francisco Herrera, and Deuce Eclipse. Thank you for listening. Yeah.